Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the second series of the Godolphin Flying Start podcast leading to success. We're here in Kildangan Stud in Ireland for the next two weeks before we head to Newmarket for the UK phase of the programme. My name is Sarah Kelly and I'm once again joined by my co-host David O'Farrell. Thanks Sarah. On today's episode we'll be focusing on the upcoming Melbourne Cup Carnival and we'll also have one of our fellow trainees Annie O'Rourke from Newmarket here to have a chat about her experience of the course so far and her tips for one of the biggest horse races in the world. We'll then be having a chat with Lockie Pethica from Australia and Charlie King from New Zealand who will share what they've been getting up to in Australia as second year Godolphin Flying Star trainees and of course their upcoming trip to the Melbourne Cup. But first, we're joined by Mark Bird, who is the Irish flat handicapper. We started off by asking him how he got into horse racing. Yeah, I suppose I, for whatever reason, when I was very young, I just seemed to like horse racing. And um, I think combination of, you know, where I grew up, some of my neighbours were interested. You know, we, we live near a stud farm, so there's probably horses were around. Um, but I suppose I didn't really envisage it being a career, to be honest, for, you know, until quite late in life. Um, I, I went to college and, you know, I studied uh, international business and languages and ended up, um, you know, emigrating for uh, all of my 20s, really. Um, but I always kept in touch with the horse racing um, in Ireland. I had, you know, I would have gone to a lot of meetings before I emigrated. And, you know, I would have gotten a copy of the Irish Field every week, just keeping in touch with what was going on. And I happened to see one day an advertisement for um, the job of a handicapper. So I thought, well, that, that sounds interesting. So I, I actually just speculatively sent in a CV thinking, probably got no chance of that. But as it turned out, sort of handicapping is a role where you kind of need to be somewhat independent. So you kind of, um, I guess you know they want, ideally you know they wanted somebody that had no real connection with racing at the time um which you know i suppose I, I fitted the bill a little bit in that regard so i suppose um then i got it, the chance to interview for it and the second interview and so on and then it became a realistic prospect like will i actually you know move back home for this and um yeah ultimately i made the decision to do that and that's like uh, back in 2001 i think i came back around so I've been handicapping ever since and enjoying it. So I, I love, I love, I love racing. To be honest, I've, I always have. So it's it, look, I'm I'm privileged and uh, and I appreciate. You know, uh, not everybody can can work in what they, they love doing. So um, you know, I'm happy to do that. And uh, you know, uh, so that, that's sort of my background in racing. <laughs> Very good. And can you tell us a little bit about your day to day role then as flat handicapper in Ireland? Yeah. So on a day to day basis, we would. Um, I suppose you, uh, on the one hand, you're processing, you know, it's it's basically a, you know, continuous circle. So like, you know, on the one one day you're getting the entries that are coming in for the races that are taking place in five, six days time, processing those, going through those, um, looking at the form. And then you're also then maybe going racing for that particular day uh, and following the race meeting, then you're reviewing, you know, what's actually happened there. Um, so it's... Um, you know, I suppose in the old days, racing was kind of a flat racing is, you know, it's what I do. So flat racing would have had a, a defined season, five, six months and then seven, maybe seven months. And then during the winter, there was a break until it happened, started again in, in say March. But nowadays, I mean, racing goes on 12 months of the year, really flat on jumps. So, you know, it's just, it's just continual uh, racing all of the time. So it's, um, yeah, it's just moving on from one meeting to the next. I mean, our, our role, I guess, is to react to what's happened um you know um so i suppose we're, we're somewhat different to say 
somebody like a you know i guess a punter who you know um or an unofficial handicapper if you like who can take a view on a race and you know and, and bet on the race i mean our view is actually kind of look at well this is this is what's actually happened and we we reflect that then and how we give ratings to horses uh, subsequently yeah it's very interesting it sounds like there's an awful lot involved there is but it's there is yeah <laughs> um yeah. and you recently returned from a season out in dubai as a handicapper what was that like and what are the major differences between racing in Dubai compared to Ireland? Yeah, it was um yeah, it was a great experience that just came up um sort of at an opportune time really and um yeah, it's um there are a lot of similarities really. I suppose handicapping worldwide is the, the basic principles would be the same. Um but I suppose the main differences really would be the amount of uh, racing that takes place on dirt. Um, so in Ireland, obviously, we just race on turf and on poly track, you know, Dundalk uh, poly track. Um, but uh, in Dubai, you know, you have a mixed a mixture of turf um, and, dirt, and dirt racing. So, you know, I suppose ra- the racing style there is on dirt certainly is, is more similar to what you'd find, say, in North America. Uh, so there's slightly different challenges around handicapping, you know, races on that surface. So I found that interesting. I suppose the, the other interesting part was the just the international element of Dubai. Um you know, you have horses coming from all over the world, really, to race there for the carnival. So from South America, North America, Europe, um, all around the Middle East, you have horses as well. Um, Australia, even this year. So, um, yeah, I find that fascinating, actually, you know, because a lot of I suppose, what we do to a degree is theoretical in terms of, you know, we apply certain allowances to horses in terms of their ratings and so on so to actually see it play out in practice you know you know when you know you have a theoretical rating say for a horse from australia versus a theoretical rating from a horse from america um and you're never quite sure until that actually plays out on the track as to whether that's actually accurate or not so it's um yeah i find it hugely um interesting and, and fulfilling actually when that does actually translate into a you know a close finish in the handicap for example uh, um so, so i suppose the international element and the surface really were the two main things and um, yeah, just a fresh population of horses then to look at really, I suppose, as well. That was the other thing. And just going back to your role more at home here in Ireland, if there's a horse coming from, say, England or France or even further afield, how would you assess them? Yeah, so I suppose in flat racing, we have sort of internationally agreed ratings um, at an international level. So I think generally speaking, you can take it that a horse that's rated, for example, 100 in, in Britain or in France, you know, will be rated the same in Ireland. And, uh, and that that's worldwide really so you know we've often you know um you could have a horse coming from from any any part of the world really so as long as they're covered under our rule book um as a what's called a specified authority so you know that's the majority of racing nations frankly um you know so what we will do is we get the form of the horse we go through it independently and just make sure that we're happy with the the rating that you know has been given to the horse in a different jurisdiction and, you know, in the majority of cases, we will be. Um, there may be the odd occasion where, you know, we might do things slightly differently here or they might do slightly th- things differently in, in in a different jurisdiction. But, you know, you're generally not talking about massive changes like you're talking about maybe one or two pounds here or there or a kilo here or there. But, um, you know, so the, the scale does actually does actually kind of work because um, the, the top horses worldwide are agreed sort of at a meeting every year. And then I suppose everything else kind of filters back down from that. So, um, yeah, in, in one respect, actually, when you, you know, we take it for granted a lot of the time, but when you actually stand back and think about that, like, you know, a horse going from Ireland to Australia or, you know, to America, it is actually quite amazing that they run to these sort of figures and pounds and so on, and that can be calculated, you know. Yeah, yeah so moving on from that topic, with, with the Melbourne Cup coming up quite soon, you know, it's 
November 1st. We were wondering when an Irish horse, say, travels down to Australia for the Cup, how does the Australian handicapper assess the horse or is there any special special considerations given? Yeah, so um, because it's, it's in Australia and it's an Australian race, obviously the Australian handicapper um, you know, has carte blanche to, to, to allocate the weights as he sees fit. I suppose in practice, what would happen is that he will, you know, any of the overseas horses, you know, there would be contact between the Australian handicapper and the handicappers in that jurisdiction. And, um, you know, teasing out, um, you know, whether he's happy with those ratings, just, you know, along the lines of what I've said in terms of if, if we have a horse that's imported here. Um, so I suppose in certain cases, he'll take the view that, you know, he'll take the rating, the internationally agreed rating. And in other cases, he may take a slightly different view. He may take, you know, a more positive view of, of one horse or, or another, but by and large, they're they're quite you know they're I'd say the majority of horses would go in on on similar ratings you know so wh- whether the race was run in Australia or Ireland or France or wherever, but um he does have discretion as do sort of any does any handicapper really in their own jurisdiction to, to put that horse in on on whatever figure they see fit because I suppose ultimately if if you're not happy with it, yeah you're the one who's going to get the the blame as such afterwards so you've got to be happy with what you're actually rating the horses so um. I mean, there isn't that much um, representation relative to a lot of years this year in terms of the European contingent. I mean, the only Irish sort of really uh, horse of interest this year is Camora, who has been trained by Ger Lyons up until recently and has now gone to Australia. So he uh, won the Curra Cup this year. So um, his rating here, just for an example, I think is 110. Uh, his rating in Australia for this race, from what I can work out, uh, I think is 112. So they've taken a slightly more positive view of the form um, than we have, but two pounds, it's not, it's not a massive difference. So, um, And have you ever been to Melbourne Cup or would you have any traditions if you haven't been? <laughs> uh, no, it's actually top of my bucket list. I'd say that and the Kentucky Derby are two places I haven't been. And uh, I'd, I'd really like to go to both actually. Yeah. Um, oftentimes it's just timing. It's difficult, um, you know, so um but uh, no, I got, I got the post-COVID, I guess, and uh, I haven't been in Dubai for the last year. Um, kind of got the travel bug again in terms of, so got to got to go to the Saudi Cup last year and um, Qatar and a few other places like that. So kind of uh, gradually ticking off my uh, my bucket list of, of races to go to. Yeah. Very good. Definitely. A lot of travel. It's, it sounds like a great, a great job. Um, so do you fancy anyone for the Melbourne Cup? So I could give you the political answer of a handicapper in that you know, we're trying to get a, a dead heat and every, everybody has an equal chance of winning. Oh, that one's because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> um, nothing strongly, I would say. Um, like I suppose, obviously, I think my starting point would probably be something like Deauville Legend. Um, I think the profile that he has fits very well with sort of what's been doing well in the race recently. So, you know, European three-year-old... Um, progressive generally speaking uh, in terms of his form and he's a little bit he's unexposed at the two mile trip so I suppose for a horse to win a handicap essentially they have to improve on what they've done up to up to running in the race and you're looking at you know why why would this horse improve or why would that horse not improve and so there are a lot of horses in the race who you know there's no real reason why they would improve they've you know they're they're exposed essentially um Deauville Legend is relatively likely raced as a three-year-old um you know I think is generally speaking progressive has form in sort of group races which I think you know if you look back at some of the previous winners is important like the Irish winners of the race previously like the likes of Media Puzzle Vintage Crop Rekindling they all ran well in St. Ledger's and things like that so um I'd look for those those kind of angles um so I think he probably for me would take the beating 
Dovila legend. I think he's he's quite a good horse. Um, I'd be less probably enthusiastic about who Yamal, who I think is going there as a Northern Hemisphere three-year-old as well, but only because he's not really proven at the distance and he's coming in off the back of a disappointing run maybe last time. But um, but you know if, if he did hadn't have run in the St Ledger recently, I think he might have ticked most of the boxes as well. And he's obviously come been placed in a, an Epsom Derby, which is which is good. Um, in terms of the others, I just let me see the list in front of me. Um. Yeah, Loft obviously is a horse from a European point of view, German horse who you know has run well abroad before, winning the Belmont Gold Cup. Um, and I mean, there, you know, there will be horses locally then, obviously, who who will you know play a, play a part. Um, I, I think I'd probably have a sneaking for Deville Legend. I just think he's um, you know, I think he he there's a strong possibility of him staying the trip, and I think if he does that, um, you know, he could even actually improve for the trip. So he, if I had to nail my colours to the mast, he, he'd be one probably I go with. <laughs> There you go. Now everyone, you've heard it here first. That would be a legend for the cup. But uh, as I as I used to say to my dad, there are no refund and refunds in my tips. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no pressure. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and definitely it's given us a great insight into your role as a handicapper. Our second guest on today's podcast is our fellow trainee Annie O'Rourke. So welcome, Annie. Hi. Thanks for having me. So to start off, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your background prior to getting on the course? So um, originally from Newmarket, um, I was born and raised on a stud farm um, and that was my first kind of interaction with horses. Uh, from there I went to uni where I studied psychology in Scotland, um, but during my summers I always went back to training yards or pre-training yards and did a little bit with the bloodstock agency and now I'm on flying start. That's great. Um, so Annie, what actually made you decide to apply for the course? Well, I think um, as a young person going into the industry, there is no course universally like it. You can learn so many different skills around various uh, places in the world. So you, you can learn and explore, which I think is the best of both worlds, really. And talking about skills, do you want to let everyone know what one new skill you've learned in the course so far? Um, so when I when we recently started in Ireland, I'd never lunged a yearling or worked with yearlings. Um, but this morning I was lunging a yearling on two with two reins and driving him around the yard which is pretty cool cool that's it yeah we're all learning plenty that's the great thing about the course it's just you're constantly expanding your skill set exactly which is great it's exciting um so what has been your highlight on the course so far uh, so far i really i really enjoyed the training side of things so we had a recent trip to shanti where we saw uh, many of the gallops and saw some horses working and the facility is an offer there which, uh, which was very exciting and pretty cool to, to experience and see. And in terms of looking ahead on the course, what are you most looking forward to across the two years? I think immediately the trip to America really kind of stands out, stands out for me. Um, I've only been there once before out for a matter of days, so experiencing the American way of doing things and the training and the stud side really. Definitely. That's looking to the future now, but looking behind you, what has been your favourite racing festival or race that you've been to or you've experienced or have fond memories of? Uh, I'd have to say the Epsom Derby, I think. Um, for me, it's, it's the pinnacle of the European uh, racing season and it's a great day, wonderful horses and there's there's so much on offer. These are the horses, the stars of the future. And given this is a Melbourne Cup themed podcast, we couldn't <laughs> let you go without asking what your fancy is for this year's race. Uh, I think I'm going to take the cop-out answer and say, ask me after Saturday. <laughs> um, I think it's a really interesting race. Um, there's lots of things of note, even from a pedigree uh, perspective. Out of the top, top 
top six horses in the European markets anyway, Dabawi's the broodmare star of two of them. Um, so that's another angle to look at it and uh, lots of lots of ways of looking. Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting to see how the Europeans will fare out down under. So we are going to move on to a short segment on the podcast that we've done. We started last month with our first episode. It's a quick fire round where we'll ask you a few questions and we just want to get a little bit of an insight into Annie O'Rourke. So Annie, what was the first concert that you went to? First concert? I think I'd have to say the Wombats in Glasgow. (laughs) Very good. And what was your first job? First job? Um, So this one, it was work experience, so I suppose you couldn't really classify it as a job, but it was three weeks in a dairy farm when I was 14. I have so much respect for dairy farmers, that was very hard work. And as a form of payment, I I received a pint of fresh milk uh, when I finished on my final day. And I took it home, put it on the kitchen table to sort of show what I'd, what I'd earned myself. Went away for 10 minutes only to come back and find that my dad had put it on his cool plate. <laughs> so that, that didn't go down that well. It's a good story. And what about your first job in racing? First job in racing? Uh, I think it must have been with Malcolm Bastard down in Auburn. Um, that was my first major job that I did during one of my university holidays. If you had one thing to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> well, I love my food, so that's a different one. Um, I'm going to go with roast chicken. I think all nice. faithful. Yeah. Salad. Yeah. And the trimmings? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on now to more racing style questions. So who is your favourite racehorse of all time? I think that would have to be See the Stars. Um, not, there is no horse to me that has achieved what he achieved. Um, and I just loved watching him race. And did you ever get to see him live? I didn't, unfortunately, no. That was a, a real shame, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him as a stallion. Definitely. Well, hopefully we're, we'll get to see him pretty soon, which is very exciting. Um, Annie, that's everything that we have for you today. Um, thank you very much for being a part of our podcast. We really appreciate it. And it's great to have another trainee joining us on the, on the show. So thank you very much. Thanks, Absolutely. Annie. <laughs> Absolutely my pleasure. So thank you very much. We're joined now by two of the second year trainees, Lachlan Petka and Charlie King. How are you getting on, guys? Yeah, good. Thanks, Sarah. How are you? Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, really good. Really good. How are you getting on there over in Australia? Yeah, no, very well. Uh, Just had the Everest there this weekend. So we're down in Sydney. Um, Massive event, obviously. But uh, plenty of fun and some great racing and a little bit of an upset in the big race. But um, always good to get down there to Randwick. And it was nice and busy as well. So great weekend all in all. Good stuff. And last week you had um, your charity auction in Scone. How did that go? I saw you raise a lot of money. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, a lot of hard work went into it. And yeah, we managed to raise just over $28,500 um, in the evening. So yeah, we had some great auctions, um, great some great items donated to us that we could sell off. And it was good to do it for where there's a will foundation here in the Hunter. So no, it was an awesome night. Yeah, it looked like you got a really good turnout as well. So big congrats. Well done, guys. So what have you been up to so far in Australia in terms of the Flying Start? You were over there in, in early August. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've done or what you've seen? Yeah, so I suppose we started off by getting a feel for the Australian industry as a whole. Obviously, most of the trainees haven't been to Australia before, so it's really important that they get grounded. And so we start with lots of tours of farms and getting a feel for the stallions and the racing and um, really a, a broad overview. 
And then from there, we headed down to Sydney. We went to Macquarie University to do a, a leadership and communications course. It was a five-day intensive, which was very, very interesting. And I think we all gained a lot from that. Um, and then from there, we did two separate rotations, uh, which were each a fortnight long on farms and with trainers all across the Hunter. And that's just an opportunity to get stuck in and get our hand, hands dirty on the farms. And um, I suppose the way Australian stud farms operate is very different. And uh, trainers in and around Scone, it's obviously a different environment to what so many of the European and American trainees are used to. So uh, it's great to get involved there and contribute what we can, l learn all along the way. Um, and yeah, then we're looking forward to our, our conference in just over a week. Um, where we're looking at a series of different industry issues. And um, then we head down to Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup and all that week. And from there, we're off on an externship for two months. So it's all, all systems go, but we've had a great time. We're looking forward to everything that's to come. And Charlie, you've been on the course now for 15, 16 months. So maybe do you want to pick out one or two highlights for the listeners of your favourite part so far? Um, yeah, no, we've been very busy um, around around the world. Um, I love breaking the yearlings at Kildangan. Um, I've been following them since. I, I think one of them has had a few runs now who could be wanting to improve a little bit more. Maybe I don't sort of how well I was going there. But no, that was awesome working with such well-bred yearlings and, and seeing how they do it up there in Kildangan. And um, I guess in America, I love my externship that I did. I, I went to Tom Morley Racing at Belmont. Um, that was right at the time, sort of the, the Belmont Carnival there. So got the Belmont Stakes in there and uh, that was awesome just to really sink my teeth in there for a few months with, with Tom and, and he was really good to me. I learned a lot there. So it was, no, it's been fantastic 12 months or 16 months now. It's flying by. So no, having a great time. Lucky, you touched on it earlier that you're heading down to the Melbourne Cup at the beginning of next month. Can you give us a little insight into what's the buzz like around the Melbourne Cup being over in Australia at the moment? And um, are you looking forward to going? Absolutely. Looking forward to getting down there. Um, it's a really different sort of a race. I mean, they call it the race that stops a nation, and that's probably true. Um, it's a public holiday in, in Victoria, down in where Melbourne is. Uh, and so everybody stops. They don't go to work. And um, plenty of them head to the race course. And if they don't, they're always having a bet. So uh, I think that's true for the rest of the country as well. You've got kids that stop their classes in school to turn the Melbourne Cup on. It's a a really, really massive event for, for everyone all over the country. So massive buzz about it. And that's probably just starting to build up now. Uh, the Caulfield Cup was run this weekend, just gone. So that's a key lead up. And we're sort of, uh, I guess, what is it? Two and a half weeks away now. So uh, it'd be great to get down there. It's a bit of a festival sort of feeling about it. And there's four days of great racing. So uh, very excited and uh, keen to show everyone around while we're there. Good stuff. And probably now less Irish representatives from our end this year, but who would you fancy for the big race? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. It's a different scenario now with the new veterinary protocols. Um, who do I like? Uh, it's, it's not very creative, but uh, I think Dover Legend um, carried a penalty there at Goodwood a few starts back and I thought was pretty tough in doing that. So, uh, as I say, not very creative. And then it'd be hard to miss Montefilia's run uh, there in the Caulfield Cup. It's a bit higher up in the weights, but it's not undoable by any means. So that'll be one for the locals anyway, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, Durston was pretty impressive there in the Caulfield Cup. Um, 
as a Kiwi, I'm going to have to say Young Werther would be good to see him get up um, to have a stock no longer around. But, you know, whenever there's a Kiwi there, there's always a pretty good chance of running a good race. So, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure. So, guys, you've now been to Ireland, the UK, the US, and now we are currently in Australia. What are the biggest differences in terms of racing in each jurisdiction? Jeez, yeah, I guess, um, well, firstly, America is just completely different. You know, obviously, I guess 90% of it's on the dirt. Um, it's t- They run them real tough there. They get them real fit. It's quite it's quite a bit more endurance about it. You know, they ping out the gates and they basically just see who can last it out. Um, but, yeah, it's real tough style. I know the train, the horses are trained real tough over there. But um, And then I guess the style sort of southern hemisphere racings but you know it's they're all different the style the way they run the way they train them um obviously i guess for for staff members working the stables in the southern hemisphere you know um you're starting a bit earlier than the others you're on a track most of the time with, with other other trainers so whereas maybe up north there's a bit more a few, few more private facilities but yeah completely different but they're all awesome in their own ways yeah, it's been great to see all the differences in going racing there and before we move on to the quick fire questions, we're just going to ask you both for a little bit of advice for anyone thinking of applying for a program next year, because obviously applications open now less than 50 days. So do you have any advice to give maybe someone thinking of applying? Absolutely. I think it, it just comes down to throwing your hat in the ring at the end of the day. Um, I think there's no point resting on your laurels and thinking what could have been. It is a phenomenal opportunity to, to really get involved in the industry all across the world. You get exposure to so many different people and so many different aspects of the industry. So I think it really comes down to throwing your hat in the ring and giving, putting your best foot forward um, because you wouldn't want to see that opportunity go begging. But I think uh, every trainee uh, speaking for our year, and I'm sure yours is no different, more than willing to help uh, anybody that's looking to put together an application. Everyone's on Twitter. They're on, you can find our emails on the website. Um, Just reach out and we're more than willing to help because I think just getting that little bit of insight from somebody that's been involved um, can can really help. So, as I say, uh, throw your hat in the ring, and uh, that's all. That's all you can do. Yeah, day. yeah. We've, I mean, we've all been through the process ourselves. We all know what it's all about. Um, I guess for anyone even thinking of applying, just apply. You know, get around. It's a, it's been an incredible time so far, and yeah, we're more than willing to to offer advice to anyone else up there. Um, start it early. Don't let it sneak up on you. That would be because it can get quite stressful. You leave it a bit late, which I may have done myself. So, um, but no, reach out for sure. Anyone, we're more than welcome, more than happy to help you guys. Moving on to the fun stuff now, we're going to ask you a few quick fire questions. Um, we like to do this now with all of our all of our guests. So keep it as honest as possible. So to begin, what was your first car? I had a little two thousand three uh, Volkswagen Polo. Jeez, it was a gutless little thing, um, but it was nice and nice and cheap to run. So it did the job there for a few years. And uh, my my first car still got it. So I love Skoda Rapid, so it does the job. A to B. And if you guys had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Yeah, straight away sushi. Love it. Can't get enough of the stuff. I'm I'm thinking that'll be versatile enough to keep me going. And uh, mine would be a chicken parma which we love here in Australia. So I'd probably struggle to live internationally if that was the case, because getting our hands on them could be a bit difficult. And uh, the waistline might suffer a bit. In fact, it is. So uh, look, yeah, that'd be me. Chicken Palmer. And what is your karaoke song? 
Um, geez, there's a few there that we've probably, the other trainees have heard us oh. belt out a few. Um, Mr. Brightside always goes very well. Um, we had Sweet Caroline there at the Everest with the uh, words on the big screen. That was that was good fun too. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be much of a singer, but I'm going to go with You're the Voice by John Farnham. Quite mm. Australian. Uh, yeah, absolute anthem. Well, I'll tell you what, jump on Spotify there and uh, get involved. <laughs> um, and where did you guys go racing for the very first time, if you can remember? Yeah, a little, little local trap um, in Hamilton called Tarapa. So it was, was there, had a Mr. Whippy ice cream and some hot chips, and that did me for the day. Um, best thing ever. I'm actually not sure when I first went racing, but my first memory is the 2005 Melbourne Cup when Maccabi Diva won her third. So it was there that day. And uh, can remember being very, very excited. So, um, yeah, I have to say that one. And finally, who is your favourite racehorse of all time? Had a big think about this one because there's a few good contenders. I love Melody Bell running around. She was an absolute hero. I was, yeah, loved her so much. Got to see her final race here as well. Um, no, she was a champ. Yeah, loved her. Uh, and I loved Chautauqua. I think I still do. Bit of an enigma, but very cool horse and very, very handy on his day. So. That's great. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us. And best of luck with the rest of your Australian phase. Thank you very much for having Thank us, guys. Many thanks to our guests on today's show, Mark, Annie, Lockie and Charlie. We will be back again next month with more guests, trainees and two new hosts where they will be recording from Newmarket. Make sure to follow us on social media at Flying Start News to keep up to date with all of our progress. We have been your hosts, Sarah Kelly and David O'Farrell, leading you to success.